I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. If this is your first time here on our show, good news, it's a really simple idea. We've all had teachers in our lives who helped shape who we are, and we want you to be a part of this show. Every educator we have on the podcast, whether it's a teacher, a coach, a professor, is nominated by the people who listen. So please do tell us about the educators who've inspired you and the teachers in your community who deserve a spotlight. Email us with your nominations and your story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. We're back. It's 2023, and we have a brand new episode featuring Deborah Will. She's a librarian and IMC coordinator at Zion Benton Township High School, and she's also the president of the Illinois Association of School Library Educators. Deborah is the first school librarian we've ever had on the show, which is kind of surprising to me when I realized that. And we just went right to the top with the president of the School Library Educators Association. So we talked about the responsibility that school libraries have and how her job has evolved as technology has evolved. We chat about censorship, about media literacy, and then just a little bit about reading and finish up with a few book recommendations. Honestly, it's one of my favorite conversations we've had in quite some time. But before we jump into our conversation with Deborah, we do have an education story that we think you should know about. The Rockford community has protested school violence since news of a student body slammed by school police surfaced back in October. And some are really disappointed with how the school board has reacted to those protests since by barring people from meetings and even violence from a board member. In October, the family of a Rockford Public School student filed a federal civil rights lawsuit against the school board, a school resource officer, and several administrators from Auburn High School. The suit says that in the fall of 2021, Paris Moore, who was a freshman at the time and stood less than five feet tall, was body slammed by a school resource officer. Security footage shows Officer Bradley Lauer slamming Moore's head on the concrete floor, knocking him unconscious and fracturing his skull. The 14-year-old's offense? skipping part of his second period class and walking down the hall. The lawsuit also alleges a cover-up by the school district. The news did not sit well with Rockford residents. And in the weeks and months following the lawsuit, community members packed school board meetings to protest and give public comments. You don't want to address the issue, you're cowards. You don't want to address the issue, you use police officers and violence. Nicholas Stangy came to shoot video for the Rockford Anti-Police Violence Group, May 30th Alliance. He stood in the back of the meeting and didn't make a comment. And afterwards, the local high school history teacher stood out in the snow capturing footage of the outside of the building. That's when a board member, Michael Connor, walked out, came right up to him, and swung. Dude, you can't do that. His punch hit Stangy's camera, which was recording the whole incident. Connor repeats, You have no business. What the hell was you at Stangy? And you're trying to intimidate. Connor resigned the next day. Stangy says he got a sympathetic email from one board member, and at the next meeting, that same member talked about how he'd wished that he had intervened. But Stangy says he still hasn't heard any remorse from the school board about what happened to Paris Moore in the first place. To my knowledge, they haven't even expressed sympathy for the injuries he sustained. I understand it's illegal right now and you got to go through that, but there's no reason why you can't say, you know, we feel terrible about what happened. He says it's also deeply frustrating that protesting school violence has led to more violence 
from the school district. Stange also mentions how several community members have been forcibly removed for speaking out at board meetings. The violence that I've seen take place has not occurred by any of the May 30th members, by any of the community. It's been strictly by the police who bent that girl's arm as she was being escorted out and put in an elevator with four other police for simply speaking out at a meeting. Ari Perez was pulled out of a November meeting by security for talking outside of the public comment section. The next time Perez came to a board meeting, two Rockford police officers along with security guards were waiting for him. They stopped him and told him he was banned from attending RPS school board meetings. Perez tried to ask for paperwork that explained why he was banned or for how long, but he says security told him that he already had that paperwork and that he needed to leave the property or they'd arrest him. Perez says he hadn't been handed anything. By mid-December, Perez finally received a letter in the mail from the board. It said that he had been banned for the rest of the school year because he, quote, attempted to disrupt and interrupt the regular business of the school board. Perez says he's not the only community member to receive a ban. Ricky Naylor is a community member who attends nearly every school board meeting, often speaking about racial inequity in the district. We get called the police on for making comments. Why didn't they call the police on the police when he slammed that kid? That was child abuse. Just this past month, the attorneys for Paris Moore's family added a new complaint to the lawsuit, and it alleges that the school board attempted to pressure his family not to pursue legal action as part of a cover-up. That alleged cover-up and the board's silence about Paris Moore is why some members of the Rockford community aren't too bothered by people speaking up during meetings, even if it's outside of the public comment period. They think maybe that's what it'll take to hold the board accountable. The federal civil rights lawsuit against the school board, school resource officer, and Auburn High School administrators is still pending. Okay, now it's time for my chat with school librarian and president of the Illinois Association of School Library Educators, Deborah Will. I will ever forget the March 13th of 2020, the day we got the phone call, you know, literally got the phone call from my superintendent saying, I need you in my office now. Oh. And bring your computer. And I had been thinking that um, some kind of a shutdown was coming, didn't quite anticipate, I don't, know, I don't think any of us did, what was really going to happen, you know, but had built a website that was ready to go live to support my educators. And, you know, literally was called into the office to formulate the plan for what we were going to do. And, you know, it was one of those situations where I, I joke about it, but it wasn't funny at the moment. <laughs> but now I can look I back on it and I was like, clean yeah. coach, I've been training all year. You know? <laughs> I've been training for this moment for my whole life. Put me in. And and um, and that was really what we had to do as educators is step up to what we had been trained to do, what we knew how to do, using our online tools, using the resources that we had. It has been being very creative of how we were going to do those resources and then doing a lot of teacher education, trying to figure out, you know, all the, all the things we've been trying to get folks to do for the last, you know, 10 years, all of a sudden I had folks who had been holding onto their VHS tapes with, you know, <laughs> oh, and, and, and I had them streaming videos and streaming and, and doing all kinds of stuff that they, they did not know they were capable of doing until they had to do it. So 
Oh, um, man. I, I, I always have to remind myself that I didn't graduate from high school that long ago. But when I think about the technology, it feels like I went to high school in, like, 1988, <laughs> where, like, people are bringing, like, hauling those big rolly bins with, like, giant TVs and VHS. And they're, like, they're strapped down to, the, like, the rolly carrier like you're putting it on the hood of a car or something. And that just feels a million years ago now. It absolutely <laughs> is. We have changed a lot. And there's so much that has been... You know, lots of advances were made. Um, we were, I was very fortunate to be in a building that was already one-to-one with our students. We already had technology yeah. sort of in place and we'd already been making some really big changes and good movements, but uh, it was still, there were still some, you know, just certain things that we just didn't know, like that we were going to have to do, you know? <laughs> so it was, it was, a. it's been a, it's been a, a tough couple of years and then trying to retransition teaching staff and students back into, you know, full, full educational mode. It's rough, you know? Are, were, there, were there particular things that are like, you know, now that all the educators, they feel like we have like a hand of streaming video and everyone has a handle on the technology where you're like, finally, we can do this really exciting thing. Yeah. So um, some of the things I think that are, that really we, we took off during, during mm-hmm. the, the shutdown was, teachers being able to flip their classroom a little differently. Um, so one of the things that we did a, a lot of teacher education on was learning how to make a video for your classroom, right? Yeah. Video that lesson and then um, be able to just have, have that available for students so that they could then go back and reflect on that lesson at a different time. Because a lot of times our students, were, were they were sick or their parents were sick or they were working or they were trying to you know still become be educated during this shutdown while they were trying to to watch little children at home so they would log in maybe not exactly when you wanted them in class all the time you know Mm -hmm. but at least they Mm -hmm. would be able to get the lessons and then be able to um be able to engage in in the lesson that way so we did a lot of, of teacher videos that were being made uh and that was that was something I think that we now have incorporated that into practice um, quite a bit so that if a student misses a day or even a teacher is missing a day, they're like, hey, my sub plan, play the video. <laughs> <You know? laughs> my sub plan is I'm still here. <laughs> you know, And and that has um, that is, has kind of held true. And it was a way, honestly, for the library to be supporting to our spaces that we didn't normally um, quite support as much like our art department or our mathematics department because those videos and those kinds of like show folks how to do that was something that really was was helpful in those courses so yeah what did it look like like specifically from like the school library in terms of like checking out books perspective was it was it kind of hoopla-ish where you were able to kind of get the the digital ebooks for kids to rent out like what did that look like for you guys so we had um a digital collection that's pretty robust um pre-pandemic but what we found is our students really they would they still prefer a print book and oh that's that's encouraging it's really interesting and and i keep surveying students about why they would prefer the 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 print book instead of the ebook and the bottom line is is they're like well it doesn't drain our battery it doesn't take our memory okay Mm -hmm. and they will also say that if they don't get it's distracted um, because as text messages and things are coming in, or they'll be more less likely to go onto social media if they're not trying to read on their phone. Okay, and so what we did see, and we also saw during the shutdown, we saw a lot of folks that, and it was true for adults as well, is that 
the attention span on what we could, like our brain capacities, I think were just a little more limited. Um, that whole sustained thought, um, like what it takes to sit down and read an entire book, it was a little harder because we were consistently being bombarded with what's happening next and living in this moment of uncertainty. And, and I think that that really hurt our kids. And we see that nationally with our reading scores nationally, right? Like you can see yeah. that, that maybe we are, our, our kids were, were operating in that um, part of the brain that's a fight or flight. And, and now we're trying to transition them into going um, into a different part of the brain that's going logic, reason, and judgment, you know? And that's what reading does is it puts you into that frontal lobe section of your brain where you're, you're having to do that work instead. And so it's uncomfortable when you're in fight or flight to have to, to do the other, you know? So, so we, we saw that and we, we saw our kids not wanting to quite engage in the, the digital text as well. So we started doing curbside delivery um, of books so kids could come up. And then once a week, I literally drove a short bus around town and delivered books to students who requested them. You had a bookmobile. I did. I created my own bookmobile. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's too bad you guys couldn't have like spray gotten like a spray painted the, the side of it to make it look like book bookshelves or something. Yeah, we did. We had little bags that had like special messages on them, and then we had um, uh, two of Very us fun. would would drive the bus, and like I would drive, and my my one of my assistants would get out, and she would deliver to the porch, and we did car, you know um, contactless um, uh, delivery. And we just had, with students would log in and they'd request books and we would deliver them once a week to their homes and we would do pickups and deliveries, so. That's very fun. Feel like an old timey milkman going down to deliver across the neighborhood. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> Things they did not tell me when I went to, 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 to become a teacher was that I would have to, I'm like, oh, I don't, this, this is a large vehicle to drive, let me tell you. <laughs> that's interesting that I, I, I guess, it, even though you know you'll take reading whether it be on a digital platform or physical but for some reason i think that it feels like encouraging to hear that like physical books are still more appealing than digital but then i'm thinking about my own experience with reading and honestly, I, I, I joked about Hoopla earlier, which is, you know, uh, for people that don't know, is like an ebook service and like audiobooks through like your local library. It's connected. And I use that all the time. And I'd say like probably like 80 to 85 percent of the like pleasure reading that I do, I do on an iPad now, mm -hmm. which I, it, it, I really love. But like if you would have told me that I would have done that five years ago, I would have thought that's really weird. But I, how, how are you as as a as a library educator? Are you nine times out of 10 physical, do you, do you like to read digitally too? So I have, I usually have two or three books going at any given time. Um, oh, good so. for you. You got that good attention span. <laughs> so, so when, so, so it depends on what I'm, what I'm trying to do. Um, if I am trying to research and I think my students are like this too, if, if we're researching, a lot of us are researching online and using database online to, to, to research. And so when I'm going to write a paper, sure. I'm probably going to go digital and go to databases and, not digging through a lot of physical encyclopedias right. these days. Yeah, no. I'm not buying yeah. a whole lot of those for a library either because it's expensive mm -hmm. and they don't get updated as well. So, you know, there's that. But then when, um, or if I'm trying to, to take notes on a text, one of, I don't particularly care to do that online. So like if I'm reading, you know, a, an educational text, I'm going to want to mark it. So I sure, like sure, sure. to mark on the text. If, however... I'm reading for pleasure, especially as my eyesight has gone. Unfortunately, I am 
in of the age where now my eyesight is starting to fade slightly. And I asked my eye doctor, what can I do? And he said, don't look at a computer. And I laughed. Yeah, at that point, just just save, just save that kind of advice in 2022. Like, I don't know who thinks we are. Just give me the bifocals and we can move on from there. Exactly. So so um, I did start doing a lot more audiobooks, which I never enjoyed before. But I did... Um, I realized that this was a way for me to continue like to read on my commute. And so I will do an audiobook and I will also do that while I'm cooking. I will like to listen to an audiobook while I'm cooking. But then I would also um I have I like a digital book as well because I can always have one with me, you know, while I'm standing in line at the grocery store or something like that. So it really does depend on what you know, where I'm at, you know, what, what, what I'm, what I'm going most likely to do. So I do think that as my eyesight for my eyesight trying to, I, I like to be able to adjust the font. <laughs> I like to adjust the lighting. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that all helps a little bit. So, so I think as I get older, I probably have gone more into the digital, but um, I, I still read in print as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting what you said about like uh, audiobooks particularly, because I find that for myself that I tend to use audiobooks and listen to those when it's like what I think of as, or I consider it to be more of like a dense topic. Like if I'm reading a book about philosophy or spirituality, the attention span might not be there for me to physically read 300 pages of that book. But I feel like an audiobook. I can a lot more easily get through that. And I bet that that's, I bet students feel the same way is that, you know, when it's a a book that feels like it's a little bit dense, a little bit more of a slog, that the audio book makes things much more accessible there. It keeps them focused. I'll recommend that a lot, um, especially with some of my students who are in like advanced placement courses, especially among some of my student athletes who are trying to ride a bus. And, you know, maybe reading (laughs) on a bus is just awful. I'm like, well, no one will know even that you're doing your homework with your your AirPods in and your... Um, and you're just listening to the book and they're like, oh, that seems like a great idea. Right. You know, I look no like I'm phys- physical book and it's dark and you've got like a some kind of camping headlamp on <laughs> you're trying to read with. Right. Right. Like, but that was how we had to do it when, you know, back in uh-huh. the day. And, and now they can just, you know, yeah, it's, it's very it's much more conducive to to travel. That's for certain. Right. You know, I was thinking, because when was, um, I think I saw online that you started at, and you're at Zion Benton, mm-hmm. correct? Correct. I think the, it's, I saw online that you started in like 2001-ish? Yes. Yes. And so like, obviously, school libraries have changed a lot since 2001. I think technology is like the, the, the most obvious way that things have evolved. But like, just thinking like holistically, even beyond technology in terms of like what the library stocks, the services that it provides to the whole school, like what are the big things that have changed since 2001, aside from like the obvious we don't have those giant Mac computers set up everywhere like we might have then. Right, right. Well, I think for me, the biggest change, there have been a couple of different philosophical changes about what the yeah. library is, you know. Um, and for me, the, when I first came to Zion, the library was silent. Mm, right. And, well, I mean, like purposely so. That's the thing, you know, correct. be quiet in the library, right? Right. And and it's still we still like to have it to be a calm environment. Right. Like sure. I don't we, we, we encourage students to have a we want it to be a calming environment, a place where kids can come to get work done. 
Um, but that work can doesn't necessarily have to always be silent. You know, um, I have students who come in and they're working together on their mathematics homework, and that is delightful. You know, you get kids who are literally giving each other calculus lessons in my library every day. I, I don't find that to be disturbing. I found that to be encouraging, right? The other part is that, and this is where it's been very intentional on the part of our district and our school and our community, and that is to create a collection that is reflective and updated and is reflective of our, of our student body and their student interests. And so having a, a large and diverse collection is really important to me and to our community. And so being able to, to give that to my students so that when they come in, they see a book that, that speaks to their heart, it, that, that really is something that is important. So, so we went, it, being able to serve the students in that way. Um, and when I first came to Zion um, in 2000, I had a book budget of $1,500. And I had 2,400 students. And the average age of the collection was 1978. Oh, yeah. That's always fun to check out a book and be able to look back on everyone that has checked it out, you know, from the Nixon administration <laughs> on. <laughs> right. And so, so now we are in a much different situation. Um, we're in a situation where we are well supported. We're in a situation where we're able to update our collection and um, we're able to get, you know, the newest bestsellers and our kids, kids that come in, they can find themselves in a book. And so it's, it's a very different situation, but it's taken, it's, it's been a journey to get it there. That's for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah no, I, again, I'm, I'm thinking back about my own like personal experiences with the library, with school libraries, and also just like local public libraries. And I remember, like, obviously, over the last 10 years or so, we've seen a huge push of, of making sure that people have, uh, like you said, a more diverse collection of, of books and authors and all sorts of stuff like that. And I think that, uh, like, for me, like, I'm a big uh, comic book fan. Oh, yeah. And that was something that, like, when I was in high school, I think that, like, maybe our library had, like, one section of one shelf that included <laughs> that kind of thing now. But then I go to my public library now, and it's, like, several sections worth. It is, like, a huge collection. And I just think, like, and that was, like, it blew my mind the first time that I went in there. And I was like, yeah, no, that's just, that's, things have changed quite a bit over the last 10 years. <laughs> yes, it's it's definitely, I almost feel like, and in fact, I, I do apologize to my former students when I see them. I'm like, I'm sorry, we're better now. <laughs> we we try really hard to be better every year than we were the last year. And so if, you know, and I honestly, you know, I, I try to hold that to, to my heart, you know, and say, let's try to be, let's, 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 what are we doing better this year than we are, we did last year. So. Right. Yeah. Do it for the class of 04 that missed out. That's right. That's right. And my current principal is actually one of my former students. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I would like to say I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah, I'm curious for you uh, to get dive a little bit into your like educator origin story here. It's, it's to borrow some comic book terminology, but like was um, obviously I'm sure that as a library educator, that books have always been something that have been really important to you. And I'll ask you a little bit about some of those, you know, books from when you were growing up that were very influential. But in terms of just like being an educator and being a library educator particularly, was that something that, you know, goes back to your childhood? Was it something that you've wanted to do since all the way back then? Or was it something that came to you a little bit later on in life? Well, um, 
it's kind of it is a I, I've taken I took a little roundabout way to become who I am. That's for certain. Um, the, the, the scenic route. <laughs> I took the scenic route. <laughs> I did. I did indeed. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, when I went to college, my parents were not particularly thrilled with the idea that I could I would become a teacher. Um, they mm. wanted me to go into the sciences the way that my all I'm the youngest of six kids and everyone went into the sciences and I, I should go into science, too. You know, um, that's what I should do. I have an older sister who looks almost exactly we look we're, we're years apart, but we look almost identical to each other until we stand up and she's like 5'10", 5'11", I'm 5'3". So, you know, we stand up, everybody yeah. knows who's who. <laughs> but she is exceptionally gifted in mathematics. And so people just made the assumption that I would be too. And I, I can do math. I have taken calculus, you know, I yeah. did get the end. <laughs> I think okay, I got an A anyway, I think were, I did. Yes, Mr. Anthony you, might you're, disagree you're... with me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get him out of the next episode to double check. Right. <laughs> yeah. So if you fact check that, you see a B, it could have happened. I could have happened. Um, but um, when I started and I, I wanted to go to college and I wanted to, um, I wanted to be a major in theater and I did. And, and um, my parents said, absolutely not. This is not going to happen for you. This is never, nope, this is a hard pass. And I got a scholarship um, to Eastern Illinois University. And um, the Turble family paid my tuition and fees for four years to go to college. No kidding. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so when, when my parents said, I said, well, how about if I have a scholarship in theater then? Can I major in theater? And they said, sure, as long as you double major in theater and mathematics. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. What a hedge on them. Yeah. So, so I started as a double major in theater and mathematics. And about halfway, like, you know, it's like, few weeks into the semester and I'm sitting in calculus class and this was a college classes class, which I did not get an A and I went <laughs> just, and I, you and me both. And you I and remember both, yeah. sitting there thinking, I, he's like, what happens when X approaches the limits of Y? And my gut response was, I don't care. Yeah. And, You're like, I'm approaching my limit to why yeah. right now. And I realized I cannot do something in my life that I do not care about. I genuinely don't care. And so I went and changed my major to double major English and theater. And my, what, did your, what did your parents think? My father was furious, did not talk to me for several yeah. weeks, was absolutely oh, no. great. He was very upset with me. Was he in the sciences too then? No, too? no, huh? Oh, interesting. Oh, that, it was just the, it was just the pragmatic thing to do. Yes. Right. Okay. It was the issue was that he was worried I wouldn't find a job. Sounds familiar as a journalism major. Exactly. And, <laughs> yeah. and, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those situations where he just didn't, he was certain I was never going to be employed, you know, just positive about it. And finally he kind of came around to the fact that I, I would be okay. You know, um, it, it took a minute. He was pretty thrilled, though, when I started dating and, and later became engaged and married. My husband is now, because uh, he's an accountant, and he's like, oh, thank God, she'll be fine. He's like, a oh, safety net, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> he was really happy about that. But but um, the bottom line is that that they were worried about me, you know? And it's... and then I, I, I graduated from college, and I, I got married very shortly after that. I moved to the Chicagoland area. I substitute taught. I taught at Round Lake High School for a year. And then that was the year that Round Lake High School went on strike. And it was a very horrible first year of teaching to endure that. 
And so yeah. after the first semester, my husband was transferred to Iowa City um, with a work transfer. And I, I quit teaching at that point. And I, I went with him. And then I started to work at a law office and at a newspaper. I was in the circulation department at a newspaper and at a law office. And I was doing paralegal work. And I really liked it. And my folks that, that I worked with in the law office, they were like, go to law school, go to law school, go to law school. Sure. Uh -huh. And then I realized, I like doing what I'm doing, but what you do, I don't like that. Like going into court and having <laughs> yeah. people's lives in your hands. <laughs> I'm going to do lot. that. So, um, and I had a couple of clients that changed me because um, we did mm. criminal law. And I saw these young men coming into our office who were constantly being brought up on drug charges. And one of them passed away. And I wrote a note in my post-it post note in my desk and was like, today's the day it has to change. And so on that, I went back to graduate school in English to become, to get, to become an English teacher. And then my husband got another work transfer. <laughs> and then I moved to Utah. And then I finished my graduate work at Utah, came back, had a baby, decided to substitute at Zion Benton as an English teacher, see if I could yeah. go back to work. And then I was interviewing for a full-time English position here. And they told me there's no real position. We're just, just we're going to fill this through attrition. Um, there's actually not a position for you, but we are looking for a school librarian. So would you like to do that? And I was like, I mean, sure. Cause I was a theater major. I can act like I can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> And a, a librarian, but I could play one on TV. So, <laughs> so I went and I read all the educational journals I could find, a school library journal, American libraries. I was I read every uh, textbook on, on how to be a school librarian. I could I self-educated for a summer, came back in, acted like I knew what I was doing. I did not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tried. And then um and then eventually fell in love with the job and uh, went back and got my second master's degree in library science. So, yeah. Wow. Do you remember what it was that like that first year where you're like, oh, thank God I'm in the right place? Um, I think, honestly, it was a combination of all of the jobs that I had had, you know, everything from like working in the in the at the newspaper where you're trying to, you know, sell the sell the paper, working in the um, the 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 as a paralegal where I'm like reviewing contracts and I could do that, you know? And I was like, everything that it was like, man, I've been training all my life for this job because like budgets, I can do that, you know? Yeah, you could see all the pieces. Yeah, <laughs> right, All the pieces of all these other jobs that I'd had started to come together in this one position. And I was like, I have been training for this my whole life. I, this is, this is my job. I love this. So, and, and, and I get to be around books and technology because I had also been teaching, um, this was in 1998, I was teaching online courses. No kidding. Right. Wow. So, I mean, was that a, a via CD-ROM? <laughs> there was a dial-up connection at that point in time. But yeah, so I, I was on, oh the, on the, the front end of teaching online courses. So, so like all the technology stuff, that was not new to me, you know? So it was, it was a, a great marriage of all the things I'd done before. That's awesome when things end up like that. I think about that in my own career with like, you know, when I was in college, I really didn't know exactly what route I wanted to go in. And I remember my second year at a community college, I took a, you're going to like this, Shakespeare acting course 
along with, at the same time, I was taking a local and state government course. And I kind of think about my career now in like radio and news. And I'm like, I feel like I've kind of married those two things in a weird way of like performance and government in a way. Yeah, it, it is. People ask me all the time. Yeah. Are you still acting? And I say no or yes. <laughs> Maybe yes. I don't know. <laughs> That's great. And too, I was thinking about what you mentioned about like your parents and really being concerned that you would never be employed. Actually, just like a few weeks ago, I was in the car with my dad and I don't even remember how we got on the topic, but he was telling me that when I went off, so this is after I've kind of discovered that journalism might be the thing for me. So I'm like a junior in college. He was having a conversation with like an old family friend, an older man, very successful, you know, very in a very practical job that, we, you know, my, he asked my dad like what I was majoring in. And my dad's like, oh, he's, he's, he's decided on journalism. And the guy like told my dad, like, you should tell him to not major in that. You should tell him to not do that because he will never find a job. And my dad, of course, being a father was like, maybe I should consider this. Like, I, I definitely don't want him to go down a path that is, you know, is tough for him. But he decided not to tell me that and decided, and I didn't know that until just a couple weeks ago. And I was like, what a, what a pivot point that could have been if I would have been confronted by my father in college and told me not to don't do that. Don't do it. Well, you know, I, it was, it was a lot for me to tell them that I was going to do something they didn't want me to do. That was not yeah. something I would normally have done. And, and, and it took a lot to tell them that I was going to disappoint them, you know. And eventually, though, they kind of figured out that I was going to be, I was just going to be the kid who did it a little differently than the others, you know. I think and, that, I think it goes with being the youngest. I'm the youngest of four, too. <laughs> like, you know, it's going to be a little different over here, you know. And my brothers, uh-huh. at one point, because my brothers are all doc, like, well, three of my four brothers are medical doctors, Okay. Oh, geez. And so the one I will never forget the one day I'm sitting in my living room and um, and my one brother says, so when are you going to get a real job? Oh, I said, gosh. so when are you going to get out of debt? <laughs> <laughs> and at that it's point, a very fair follow up. At that point, they full stop, stop. They, every one of them stopped giving me a hard time because uh, while I am. Um, not, you know, I'm a teacher, so this is, I make what I make and et cetera. But I'm also very, um, I'm a tend to be kind of a frugal human in terms of, you know, I'm very good at, at you know, I can get anything on sale. I'm good at this, you know? Right. You're budgeting. I, I don't pay retail. It's just your job. So, yeah. So I have, I have, I have a, 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 I don't have the same issues that, that, um, that my brothers were having at that point in time. And they were all like, how is she doing that? I'm like, cause I'm good at shopping. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, man. You know, I, I think I mentioned this earlier. I was curious. Again, I feel like this is probably a question that you get all the time as a librarian, but I feel like I have to bring it towards you now that for you growing up, it doesn't have to be like as, you know, an eight-year-old. It could be just any formative books that you think of, like when you think back to, to your experience growing up in the books that meant a lot to, to you as a teenager, as a young adult, like what are what are the ones that stand out to you? from back then. So yeah, so my my students always ask me what my favorite book is, right? And like, right, what's the yeah. one that you knew you were going to be an English teacher and you know what 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 was that like? And my favorite book and the thing that I actually collect all I collect video renditions of Pride and Prejudice. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. Really? Book. Yeah. And so my favorite line in the book 
is is when she says, um, my courage always rises with every attempt to intimidate me. Oh, that is a good and one. I really like that whole idea of, um, you know, I, I can't be bullied into doing something, you know, that's not going to happen. And, and, and that kind of spunk, <laughs> I like that kind of spunk in my life. So, so I enjoy that, <laughs> that book. That's, that's probably my favorite book. Um, oh, one of my, my, my girlfriend, one of her absolute, I, I, I feel like she has read the book, but one of her favorite movies period is the 2005 Pride and Prejudice adaptation, which I know a lot of people really love too. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Okay. There are so many renditions of it, but yes, that is an absolute, it's mm, wonderful. <laughs> it, it is great. I really like it too. <laughs> so yeah. So, so I enjoy, I enjoy that. And, um, and I like to read, um, you know, I, I, and so as growing up as a kid, I actually did not read incredibly well as a small child. Um, yeah. And uh, my mom was a reading specialist and um, she had to work a little bit harder with me and that's okay. Um, and I try to tell that to my students too. I'm like, you know, it didn't happen overnight for me. Like I, I had to work a little harder than your, than the other kids and that's okay. Um, we always have to say that, that reading is not something that comes natural to human brains. You have to learn it. It's not like language or something. So, so yeah, so, so it was a, it was a little different for me and that's okay. Um, and then I became really, once I could do it, then I really wanted to do it some more, you know? Yeah. And so I used to, my, my one brother was, he was a very good reader and he's an incredibly brilliant man. I mean, oh my gosh, wow, is this man smart. But as a high school and middle school student, he would not want to do his reading and he would leave his books out on the coffee tables. And I would just be like, huh. And I would read, I remember reading The Outsiders two years before I was supposed to. Every, Ooh, right. I literally read every single one of his books before he did, okay? And, and he'd be <laughs> like, can you just uh, tell me what I'm supposed to know for the test? <laughs> so so um, the, the Outsiders, Essie Hinton, man, I abs yeah. every single thing by Essie Hinton, I was devouring. Anne of Green Gables, Massive. I mean, um, uh -huh. those, yeah. those, she was my, I, I remember taking a walk when I finished the Anne of Green Gables series and this a neighbor man looked at me and said, you look like your best friend died. And I said, I, I kind of feel like she has, I don't have another book. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that, that was how I felt about Anne of Green Gables, you know, so. And a lot of the classic literature, um, you know, the Little Women books, because when I was mm. growing up, there was no, S.E. Hinton was it for young adult literature. You know, there wasn't, yeah. that genre did not really exist. And so um, those are the books that sort of informed me going forward. But now, it, I don't know if I have a favorite. Like, I don't, there's so much. I know, it's such that. a hard question. I find that, for some reason, I find the favorite book question to be much harder than if someone were to ask what my favorite movie is. I find the book one to be a lot harder. I don't really know why. Because, because I, I kind of have the classic that I, I, I fall back on, and then I have the, but what did I just read that I loved, right? And so, I know. And so, you know, I go, well, there's Game Changer by Neil Shusterman. It's amazing. You know, <laughs> there, there's, there's In the Wild Life by Jeff Center, and I can't get it out of my head. You know, there, there's just there's these books that, that are coming out now that I just really, really enjoy too. So. I love that. I feel like at the end of our conversation, we should end off with like, you, we have to, we have to both give like two book recommendations oh, for people. Okay. I think that would be a, that'd be a good way to, to end this off. But yeah, I was thinking about that too. Like 
when I was a kid, I definitely remember reading a lot, but I don't re- like I remember reading, like you said, The Outsiders. I remember it was a big one. And then, you know, when you're in like fourth and fifth grade, you know, there's a lot of those like chapter books like the um, oh, like the is it the Magic Treehouse was a huge series. Mm-hmm. Time traveling treehouse. You get to go back and see dinosaurs. I was sold. I was ready for it. <laughs> Uh, but, like, I don't remember those being, like, formative in the way that I, like, still look back on them now. And so I was really racking my brain before this conversation for them. And I remember there's a there's a book called uh, Heat by a guy named Mike Lupica, yes. who is a young adult author and a sports columnist for sports talking for a long time. And Heat is – and I, I was a huge – still am a huge sports fan, especially baseball. And it's about this – this like 16, 17 year old kid, uh, he's actually, he's undocumented, he's from the Bronx and he's trying to make it in like Little League Baseball. And I was just like, again, like I devoured all of those Mike Lupica books because it was not only young adult, but it was also like tangentially sports related. And those were huge for me. I had a big Neil Gaiman phase. So like Stardust by Neil Gaiman was a big one. <laughs> also has a great adaptation with, uh, with like Charlie Cox and Robert De Niro. <laughs> Those are the ones that I was thinking of immediately, though, that were huge for me. Absolutely. And and I think that that's the once you find your book, you know, once you find yeah. your, you know, uh, you know, you just said it, you know, Mike Lupica. OK, you know, this is I, so now I'm going to read anything by him. Right. Like and 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 what I enjoy, too, is is when I can get a kid who's who's going They've never really found their book, but when they do, they're like, can I read another one by Harlan Coben? Can I please have another? How many Harlan Coben books do you have in the library? You know, (laughs) well, the good news is he writes a lot. So here you go. (laughs) It's a very particular kind of reader, too. That's like you read one book and you're not just like, okay, I'll move on to something else where you're like, who did this? I need more of this. And I'm I'm the same way. This year, I've been one of my favorite Authors. He's a, actually he's a, he's a cartoonist and writer. So he he writes and illustrates his own books. His name is he's a Spanish uh, author named Paco Roca. And I just again just like I read one a couple years ago I liked, and now it's just I'm reading every Paco Roca book this year. <laughs> it's it is it, it it I I wish I had more time to do that. You know, yeah. unfortunately with my position is I, I have to like. I can read a representative work and then I have to move on to the next one because I like, and I won't get to read book number two in the series because my students don't need me to read book number two. They mean need me to find book number one again, you know? And so I know I rarely get the, the full series experience you kind of have to be like abroad because you're you're kind of a curator for all this so you have to have your hands in a bunch of different genres yeah and 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 again like for me personally fulfilling i would like to do a little bit more that's maybe that's when i retirement i when in my retirement i will read all of the rest of the series that i missed the first That's That's great. (laughs) That's a great. It's a great idea. I'm looking forward to that for you. I I love that for you. (laughs) I I was curious. You know, I I was thinking about again, like the the pandemic and like the big issues for school librarians. And so I I was curious for like you and for like Isle. Like when you think about like what are like the big issues in like school library right now? Like what are the ones that you guys have your eye on, whether it be, you know, literacy and reading scores, whether it be censorship and book bans, like what are the big things for school library right now? Well, I think that our primary concern for the organization and for the profession and for our school libraries in Illinois um, specifically, and but also throughout the country, 
Um, the biggest issue is making certain that schools are appropriately staffing their school libraries. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, that to me is the, uh, the, the, the thing that will, you know, every speck of research that we have, every, you know, every study that's been done is going to show that a qualified certified school librarian in every school in your school makes a difference in whether the students are reading or not. And the teacher um, is the thing in a classroom and the librarian is the thing in the library. And um, so I think that's our real starting point. Um, and, that, and all things sort of stem from that, making certain that we have a certified person who's, whose main job it is to teach um, in the library. And unfortunately, where we're looking at some of our data here in Illinois, we're seeing that um, unfortunately, only about a third of our, our state's schools have a certified professional in their libraries. One third, One that's, third. that's pretty shocking. And that's that's our latest, and, and you know, that number could change, and I hope it does. Right. Let me just say this. <laughs> I hope by the time this airs, I'm wrong, <laughs> you know? right. and, and that has changed significantly. I, I, I hope that, um, um, but we're seeing that, and we're also seeing a disparity um, between where our librarians are, are located. And um, we're seeing them in, in some rural schools, which is good, um, but we're in suburban, but our cities are looking at like 5%. Mm. Okay, and that's not just the city of Chicago. There are other cities in the state of Illinois. And right, Rockford, Peoria, all sorts of stuff like that. Right, yeah. right. So when we look at all of these other cities, we're looking at this and saying, wait a minute, why? You know, why are we not staffing our school libraries? And that to me is our primary concern because I think that when we get certified professionals in the in the buildings and doing the job, then other things come. The reading scores come with, yeah. with the with the teacher who's who's dedicated to reading scores. Um, our censorship issues, yes, that is a real concern that everyone is facing, whether you're a public librarian or a school librarian. And as we have certified professionals doing collection development that that meet the needs of their specific schools and um, are educating the community and the school community on why we are selecting and how we are selecting those texts, then we have fewer challenges, or we at least are able to navigate those challenges in a less, at, at the lowest level, instead of navigating those challenges, you know, in the media, for example. Uh, it's been there's some nasty ones. We covered some uh, over the summer that I, I wrote a story about, and they get contentious. They get threatening. It's 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 really odd times, which I'm sure is something that you really probably had not seen in school library before the last couple of years. No, not to this degree. I mean, there, this right. has been yeah. an issue that's been a, you know something we have have had to to you know navigate for a long time. And yet, yeah. not in this way, because I, I honestly at this point and. I am very fortunate that I work in a place that does celebrate diversity. I'm very fortunate that <clears throat> that the people that um, I'm serving, you know, genuinely care that their their students have a a a, um, a wide variety of books, but also represent also know that no student is is being forced to read a book that is does not speak to their heart, right? Like that's important. It's every kid gets the book that speaks to them, right? It's not yeah. about one size fits all. 
So right. that's very important to remember that everybody everybody has a voice here and we can we can navigate that in such a way that that we respect one another's hearts. That that's the, right. that's the way I really would yeah. And, I, yeah. and and so I want to make certain that like if we get have school librarians in those positions, we can we can hopefully turn that tide so that people understand and, and have more of them so people can actually they can do their jobs really effectively and, and be able to get the right book in the hands of the right kid. So everybody gets served. Right. Yeah. You know, when I was doing the story, I was I was researching up on it and, I, and one of the the big books that had had a bunch of challenges, I think maybe it's the most challenged one, was uh, Gender Queer by Maya Kobed. And I was looking up some articles uh, where Maya was interviewed about the challenges, just like, what do you think about it? And there was a quote that Maya gave that really stuck out to me, I thought that was fascinating. It said, what I'm learning is that a book challenge is like a community attacking itself. Yeah. And I think that that's why it's so difficult um, yeah. when this kind of thing does happen is that it's hard to not take it personally. Um, yeah. and it's hard and, and, and it is something that I, it's a challenge that, that, that I, I don't want to see happen, not because it's hard for me personally. Okay. Yeah. But because I don't want to see that happen to our community. Right. I think her, right. pretty, uh, I don't want to see, um, that kind of, um, animosity and that kind of um, strife, all right? right. Um, because because that kind of negative energy does not serve our students. Um, it just doesn't, and it it doesn't help. Um, it doesn't help improve reading scores. It doesn't help improve reading. It doesn't help um, move our society forward or or get kids um, to love school. You know, who wants to walk into a room where everybody's fighting? You know, we we don't want that. And and so um, that that's the kind of thing that that uh, we hope that we can now, you know, we hope we can work around this so that, that we can right. make certain that kids don't get caught in this this ugliness, you know, yeah. that 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 it, that negative energy does not help our students. It just doesn't. And it doesn't help our teaching staff. OK. And it certainly doesn't help the volunteers. And a lot of people don't understand the school board members are volunteers, you know, spending their time trying to make their community a better place, you know? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Who needs it? This isn't this isn't the way to do this. Um, so and I understand, too, that sometimes parents will specifically say that book is not for my child and they have a right to say that it's OK. That's that's not the right book for my kid in this moment. Okay. So that's your that's that's your child and you do have a right to 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 parent your child, you know? Yeah. Um the 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 question becomes, but is it the right book for someone else's child? You know? Yeah. And that's yeah. That's where that's where the the certified professional needs to make that determination because we did have to go to school to figure this out you know like what books who do i have do and what have books do i select here, yeah. that's why that's why they that's why they, they sent me to school <laughs> so. all right deborah i only have a few more for you and these are more open-ended i just kind of like to end all of our interviews on these ones so we might have answered it throughout the course of our conversation anyway but like what's something about We'll just we'll just leave it at libraries. What's something about libraries you just wish more people knew about? Something you think is more important than people realize who don't think about this stuff, you know, every single day? 
That's actually a really hard question. What do I hope that more people realize? I I think for school libraries, I honestly, I do wish that I that more people realize that we are teaching professionals. Um, you know, sometimes I'll, I will get new staff who come in and and um, they, they really do think that I just run a copy machine. And I, like, oh, I promise you, there's a lot more to it than that. <laughs> I'm here to make sure everyone scans their cards so they can print things right. off. Like I, the copy machine is just by my office. I, that's not, I'm not in charge of that. Um, um, but I, I do wish that people would recognize, like, would know about libraries is that the librarians and the people there, because I think sometimes um, people are intimidated to ask questions um, when they come into a public library. They, mm. They're like, oh, I don't want to go to that desk and ask about that. And what people don't quite understand about us is that it's when you ask a librarian a question, it's like you gave them a present. It's like, Christmas. it's like there was this person, they came in and they asked this amazing question and I had to research it. It was amazing. Okay. We actually really enjoy the, those kinds of, even the most obscure, I will never forget the student who asked me about the history of a plastic fork. And I had to, I had to like really delve into like, how did the plastic fork get found? And like, who knew that you had to go history of cutlery in order to search for that? But we did, you know? <laughs> you probably found some, like, random, really interesting history. <laughs> so I really enjoy those kinds of research questions. So those, the, when you ask a question of a librarian, they enjoy it. That's amazing. All right, Deborah. Well, again, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I think that we should end on, on what we promised we would end with. And if you want to, I can start off. I can give two book recommendations. First off, I'll, I'll prime it for us. Okay. So the, the first two, and actually, interesting enough, again, they're both, I told you I'm a huge comic book fan, they're both comic books, uh, both by Spanish cartoonists, interestingly enough. I don't even know, I didn't do that on purpose, but uh, there's a book called A Gift for a Ghost by Borja Gonzalez, which is it's kind of a kind of teen fantasy, little time travel shown in, and absolutely like gorgeous, unbelievable artwork. So A Gift for a Ghost by Borgia Gonzalez. And then there is uh, one that I just read that is called Twists of Fate that is by Paco Roca that I just mentioned that is a nonfiction book that is about uh, Spanish uh, Republican soldiers that after fighting in the Spanish Civil War continued fighting uh, for the Allies in World War II. So like these very lesser known people that fought in World War II, that it was actually their second time fighting fascism. They just kept on going. And it was a fascinating history. I had no idea. I learned so much from it. So those are my two. Oh, wow. I, in, in fact, I may have to pick your brain, Peter, because I, I like now I want I want both of those in my library. You realize this, right? Like I'm gonna have to just have to, please, like, hmm, please. When you ask me a question, it also is an, a present Spanish for me. Comic books. I'm in. I am in. You have me sold. <laughs> um, so I think my first one that I would recommend, um, and I just gave it to a student this morning, so it's probably why it's fresh on my on my brain, is a heart in the body in the world, and that's it's by Deb Coletti. And it is about a, 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 a young woman who has um, experienced a trauma. We're not quite sure what the trauma is at the beginning of the book. Um, but it is so heartfelt that she decides, she, in order to escape this, this feeling, she's going to run from one part of the country all the way across the country to the other, to the other coast. And she takes off um, to do this running. And as she's running, we, we, the story begins to unfold about what has happened to her. And, um, and I think it's a really important message actually for young women um, because one of the central focuses is that we learn that in order to get along, we have to be nice 
Okay. And sometimes being nice can put us in some very dangerous situations. And um, that it's, I think it's such an important book um, that, uh, that, that for young women, but also just to kind of understand that feeling. And it's just, it's a beautifully yeah. done book. Um, so that would as be- a As a, a runner and a reader, I'm in, I'm sold. Exactly. I mean, it, yeah, my cross country team is like, yay. <laughs> so it, it is a fantastic book. And then, and then the next one is Legend Born by Tracy Dion. Okay, this is what okay. we just read with my book club. Um, we read it last year and it was so good that uh, the kids were like, and we're going to have book two as soon as it comes out, right? It was pre-ordered. We've got it. We've got it pre-ordered. Um, but the second book, Blood Marks, just came out in November. And um, this book is set um, in like uh, North Carolina. And it is a blend of Arthurian legend with African-American mythology. And it okay. is yeah. fascinating. Um, this girl shows up to um, a college sort of um, experience. Um, it, she's still in high school, but she's going to this college university on a preemptive, you know, uh, program. Yeah. And um, and when she gets there, she finds out that she is she is um, being engulfed into the secret society. Um, and part of the secret society are the reincarnations of the um, Arthurian Knights of the Round Table. Okay, mm. um, but does she fit in or does she not fit in? And um, and there is it is just an absolutely phenomenal read. And uh, yeah, it's, it's one that it's one I can't get. I can't. I, it flies off my shelves. So. I'm excited to, to read book number two. Love to hear it. There we go. It is a book All number right, two Debra I pre-ordered, by the way. I'm going to actually read this one. <laughs> <laughs> I had no doubt. I had no doubt. I, I told you that we would get you out of here by 11 o'clock. It's 10.58. Our timing was impeccable. And, and Deborah, again, I can't thank you enough for taking the time for the conversation. I had a great time. I hope you enjoyed it too. I, it was wonderful to meet you. And thank you so much for the opportunity, Peter. Take care. And if you ever need to pick my brain about comic book recommendations, oh. there's nothing in the world I want to talk about more. 100%. <laughs> Believe me, I'm going to be like, I'm going to need a list, Peter. <laughs> happily. Happily. All right. All right. Have a great one, Take Deborah. Care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to Teacher's Lounge in yet another year. As always, please do feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. It's how we get great guests like Deborah. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. Please do subscribe, leave us a rating, share it, whatever you can do. It really is the best way to get even more perspectives, even more educators from different backgrounds on our show. You can subscribe to our Teacher's Lounge newsletter to keep up to date with everything having to do with the show. We've got some really exciting stuff planned for the next year that you should definitely know about. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs for the music you hear in every episode of our show. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya. Happy New Year.